Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema, director, actors, genre, or franchises. It's always fun at the Film Club. This month we're talking about movies about movies, and this week we're talking about... Sunset Boulevard. And we're recording in Undercity Comics in Whittier, so that means we have a bonus episode today. That's our favorite kind of episode. And with a bonus episode, we get a guest? That's right, and this guest is really special to me because it's my cousin. Say hello. <laughs> that, that's Hi. your cue. <laughs> hello, it's me. It's you. Yeah, Becky's cousin. Yes, mm-hmm. my cousin Yasmin, mm-hmm. who's here to talk about movies. Yes, I am. You, you <laughs> and I'm very honored. You're very honored. <laughs> yes. And she's very shy. Yeah, I can be. Uh, just a little bit? Just a little. Okay. Yeah. All right. Why are we whispering? It's ASMR. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about Sunset Boulevard today. This was your choice, Becky, right? Yes. And you threw it over to, to Yasmin over there. Have you ever seen the movie before? Any Anything going into it? Did you know anything about it? I have never seen this film before. I haven't even heard of it, actually. Wow. Really? Living under a rock. Um, and I really wasn't sure if I was actually going to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a trailer, which was probably a huge mistake, because I feel like trailers are extremely deceptive. Especially in the 50s. Yes. <laughs> and then I read a little bit about it, like just like on the wiki page, just so I knew what I was getting into. And then I really enjoyed it. Oh, you did like it? Yeah. Have you seen any other like Billy Wilder movies? He also directed like Some Like It Hot, uh, Seven Year Mm -hmm. Itch, uh, The Apartment. Yeah, I've seen Some Like It Hot and I've seen The Seven Year Itch. But Mm -hmm. I think that's about it. So I don't know that much about him. Well, what about you, Becky? You know, you picked this movie. You know, when was the last time you saw it? First time you saw it? Uh, Probably last time I saw it was around the time we started dating. That was a long, yeah, long so time ago. Yeah, so it's been almost a decade. Almost, almost. Yeah, because remember we used to hang out at a Cafe Noir in Fullerton, mm-hmm. and that was where I bought the script of Sunset Boulevard. They had a copy there, and I think that was the last time I saw it. Did you enjoy it last of time? Of course. <laughs> it, this is one of the movies that I've loved for a long time, so yeah, absolutely. What about you? When was the last time you saw this? Uh, probably like two years ago, I think. Okay. Uh, I like. Yasmin had never I've heard I heard of the movie before and then I just never got around to watching it and then I was like oh I found the DVD at Barnes and Noble I think I'll watch it and I watched it and I forgot literally everything about it and then I watched it this time and I was like oh this movie's a masterpiece I really like this movie it's really good Mr. Cinema but he's never seen it you know I know I would think that this is like required viewing for like film school It, it is required viewing for film school but you know there's a lot of fucking movies you got to watch for required viewing for film school, you know? This is like top 10, I would say, you know? I mean, it is number 16 on the AFI Top 100. I did see that when yeah. I was reading about it, yeah. It's, it's pretty It's pretty up there. Mm-hmm. It's pretty up there. But yeah, so uh, where do you guys want to get started? Well, With, I, th- you know, I think you need to read the back of the box. Oh, I, to let everybody else know who might not have seen it? Yeah. Oh, don't worry. I got, I got the whole box here. It's everything. <laughs> It's a big box. Spoiler warning for a 72, three-year-old movie. It's from 1950. I don't think it's, you know, it's getting there. It's getting there, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty fucking old. It's pretty fucking old. <clears throat> but if you're wondering what it's about, it is about Joe Gillis, a down-on-his-luck writer looking for his big break, and he finds it in the faded movie star Norma Desmond, 
who is looking for a writer to edit her return script that has taken her 20 years to finish. Things begin to get complicated when Desmond falls in love with Gillis, who only stays with her out of pity after a failed suicide attempt. And when Norma's script is rejected by the studio, her mental state begins to deteriorate. And when Gillis starts writing his own script and and starts an affair, see, I, I can't really read it all that well, and starts an affair with upstart script reader Betty Schaefer, Norma's jealousy becomes dangerous. And when Gillis finally resolves to leave Norma, she shoots him dead and completely loses touch with reality and calls out to a director who is not there for one last close-up before she finally fades away. Wow, spoiler. Spoilers, I was going to say. This movie Dang. is almost as old as my grandmother. Still, spoiler warning would be nice. I, I it it was... can't be. It is. No. Yeah, I know, weird, but true. My uncle can't be that old. He's young, so the movie is young. Yes. Right. But of course. Yes. 70, 73 years young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I gave the spoiler warning for this, all right? No, you didn't. I, you just jumped right in. I told everybody so, everything that happened. I so gave the spoiler warning. <laughs> also, like, I can't... The whole crux of the of the movie, the opening of the movie is Gillis is fucking dead. All right, guys? Mm-hmm. Like, Could have been a dream. Could have been a dream. True. I used to read Word Up magazine. Indeed. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. What do you guys think of, you know, the, I guess the biggest star of the movie, you know, Norma Desmond, the movie star, Gloria Swanson. Did you like her performance? Did you think it was interesting? What, what were your thoughts over there, Miss, trying to hold back a laugh? <laughs> I'm just going to laugh. Um, I thought her performance was amazing, um, terrifying, and also just like heart-wrenching because I was reading that this movie is like in some ways considered like black comedy. Yeah. And it does have moments of like comic relief Mm -hmm. and like these little quirky, you know, aspects, but I felt it was very, very like tragically sad. Yeah. Yeah. This Um, movie is incredibly depressing. mm -hmm. If you look at it from Norma's (laughs) perspective. Yes. And that final scene of her, like, I mean, can I talk about the entirety Absolutely. of the movie? Yes, everything in the movie. Anything you want to talk about? This, Absolutely. People, this movie is seventy-three years old. Okay. Everything's <laughs> on on the table. We're okay. Everyone's seen it, and it's been like cross-referenced a thousand times. Probably. Oh yeah. I, how many times have you heard "I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Deville" referenced yes. in a, in other things? Slightly influential. Just DeMille. slightly. Demille. 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 Yeah. yeah. He's pretty cool. He's One of the misquoted him. quotes of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. That scene where she's coming down the stairs is like terrifying, heartbreaking, just over Iconic. the top. Iconic. Yeah, exactly. And you sense too that she was like this huge silent film actress, which she was, right? Gloria yeah. Swanson. Yeah. Because her face is so insanely expressive. Her eyes are like mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. It's just intense. I guess that's the word for it. <laughs> I, I literally wrote in my notes that final scene like gave me chills. Mm-hmm. When she's like, to all you people out there in the dark. And she's literally talking to like the audience yeah. out mm-hmm. there. And I'm like. Breaking the fourth wall. And I'm like, oh, that is that is <laughs> fucking creepy as shit. Because <laughs> oh. Dean's like, I got to turn a light on. I'm getting scared. <laughs> well, the thing is, is because like. Like, Gloria Swanson, all that, like, the acting she's doing, she's very, like, striking poses and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and, like, really expressionish, expressionistic, like she's in a silent era, yeah. like, like right. horror film, right? And then, like, how her delivery is, like, this weird, I don't, I don't even know, like, her line delivery just seems so, like, alien to everything else in the movie. She feels like, 
like this character kind of out of time that's just mm-hmm. hasn't realized she's been you know dead she's a ghost basically right right yeah and i think that's kind of interesting and i guess to get into like a, a really sad part of of hollywood right mm-hmm. is she's a really sad example of what happens to like movie stars especially like female movie stars once they hit a certain age and parts start drying up because mm-hmm. Gloria Swanson like in like like IRL like her career dried up in the 30s yeah so th- thoughts on you know you know women after 40 in Hollywood we're getting to the hard-hitting stuff <laughs> well that it's interesting because I actually read about the casting for this film um after I watched it and I read I don't know if it's accurate um, that Mae West and Marlon mm-hmm. Brando were the original choices, which I'm really glad they didn't go with them because I feel like the film would have a kind of smutty like feeling. <laughs> you <laughs> more would... like a like a you know erotic something. Instead rather. of implied banging, it would mm-hmm. be full on banging. Oh yeah, yeah. Brando would be like, "Why are you fading away? Like me and Mae West, we're getting <laughs> we're getting the job done getting here." It on, yeah. Um, and then apparently they went to a bunch of other actresses like Greta Garbo. Um, Pola Negri, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wasn't the right fit for like various reasons. But um, I thought it was amazing that Gloria Swanson like took this role because people are basically playing themselves in this movie. Like mm-hmm. Cecil B. DeMille is playing himself. Then yeah. there's like Buster Keaton's cameo and like Hedda Hopper, right? Yeah. So I was like, it's, it's very, I mean, I have a lot of questions about it because I don't have all of that film history or film theory in my pocket. Um, sort of like how they navigated this and how they, you know, I don't know, like, how are you playing yourself as this like washed up actress and have the like self-reflection to do that? I don't know. Really breaking the fourth wall. uh, Another person that they considered to cast as Joe was Montgomery Clift, who Mm -hmm. was a big actor of the time. And he signed on and he actually broke his contract two weeks before they started filming because he was actually living that real life situation with a former actress, Libby Holman. Mm-hmm. And she did tell him, if you take this role, I am going to kill myself. So he was really living that life of, you know, I have this older woman that's taking care of me more or less. And too close for comfort. Very close for comfort, which yeah. is cool. It's well, it's, it's very, it's very depressing. But it's yeah, depressing, cool. but it's cool that, you know, this is Hollywood and this isn't like, you know, some fantasy. It's like, no, this is actually what happens in Hollywood and it's still mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that stereotype where Hollywood doesn't know what to do with women after 40. Because mm-hmm. once, you know, when you're 20s and 30s, you can play the young ingenue. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in your, like, 50s and 60s, you can play, like, the mom or the matron figure. But, yeah, because in, in the movie, Norma Desmond's only, like, 50. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not all that old really like bogart was a a leading man into like his almost 60s right yeah but this goes back to you know our (laughs) musical march when we were talking about singing in the rain and how the talkies really pushed out the silent film actors Mm -hmm. and she was part of that wave that you know she couldn't really do it with you know talking or singing and she kind of just got washed out with everybody else that couldn't you know hang on Mm. she says that in the film too right like when he first when joe first meets her she says, oh, we, we had faces back then. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't need to, like, you know, talk, basically, because yeah. our faces said everything that needed to be said. Um, and I thought that was interesting, too, because I was thinking about, like, the silent film era a little bit. 
and how it's kind of like pantomime in a way. And you were talking about that final scene where she's gesticulating in all these like crazy, like over the top poses, the the come hither hands and all that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's very like, I wouldn't even say theatrical, but like kind of like mime, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and that's mime is silent. Right. So yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Have you ever seen a mime? (laughs) Oh, so I mean, mimes, mimes are weird, but Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that's really interesting about, about the movie is how it's this very unsanitized look at what happened to a lot of these silent film stars, right? Because, you know, Singing in the Rain is like, oh, some of them just like faded off into, you know, history and then they just kind of went on to do their thing. And this is like, no, some of them like went fucking crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. They were like, I was the biggest thing on the planet and now I am isolated in this weird self-made fantasy world that her butler max maintains for her well she's in like a time loop Mm -hmm. you know it's just she's living this you know whatever last year this big year that she lived over and over and you know i am big it's the pictures that got small and it's no it's max feeding into your ego that Mm -hmm. you are still the starlet that everyone beloves and it's just like no everyone's kind of just cast you to the side because we have new actors and new talent that's it it's that delusion. I love the line that Gillis gives to Norma, like right at the end of the movie, where there's nothing wrong being fifty. It's only wrong when you still act like you're twenty five. Exactly. And it's like she's she's this person who's just never exited that that big star power she had and is just kind of trapped in this way. And that is Max a villain or is he like a misguided love? Because he's maintaining this like insular world that is that is like really feeding into her delusion. Is he, like, what is up with Max? He's toxic. She's toxic. He's toxic because he's not, you know, helping her try to break out of this. He's the first husband. He still loves her very much. And he probably figures it's easier to let her live in this fantasy world instead of, you know, kind of crushing her and telling her, no, you know, you were. You aren't that it girl anymore. Um, he also mentions that he was like her first director or whatever. Like he was the one mm-hmm. at the start of her career. To he discovered of, her. Ba- right. And so um, I also felt like this for him, that he had a kind of personal investment in her as his sort of like passion project or like brainchild. That he, the starlet. Yeah. And that that was very important for him to hold on to as well. That that illusion. I don't know. That sad codependency mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Max is such a fascinating character because he he's played by like a real like silent era director. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna uh, it's it's like Eric von Streit von von Streit or yeah mm-hmm. von Heim or something like that. I know he because he directed like Greed and he was like this very like like he says in the movie was this huge silent era director. And then once Norma faded away, he's also kind of one of those directors that couldn't adapt to the sound era. Mm-hmm. And watching the movie, I'm like they're. They're in this, you know, ghost, this ghost house, right? Mm -hmm. And they're living with these ghosts of the past. And it's almost like he, he is completely involved in this, uh, like, um, illusion. But he just has the sense that he knows it's not real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the the tragedy is that Norma just doesn't understand that. Because I I was thinking about this in the movie when she goes to Cecil B. DeMille and all the other... Like mm-hmm. cast and crew were like, oh my god, is Norma Desmond? I thought she was dead. And, and they they're all, all old people. By yeah, the way. exactly. Which I think is like fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
And I was thinking about that. I'm like, could Norma have ever made a return, ever made a comeback? Like, if, like, obviously, like, the script she wrote, it's very implied it's awful. It's yeah. fucking horrible. Yeah. But could she have ever really made a comeback if Max didn't try and keep this illusion alive? Like, do you think, do you think, not not Gloria Swanson. Gloria Swanson is amazing in this movie. But do you think Norma Desmond is a good actress? <laughs> sad, Back sad to awkward casting. Thing. I mean, because, I, I, you know, when I was reading about casting and I was thinking about Greta Garbo, I read that she be- basically became a recluse mm-hmm. because she was very invested in, like, distilling her memory you know how she wanted to be remembered a certain way and so she wanted to distill that in time and then basically just faded away like a ghost in her own like real life so um probably this character i feel like would do the same do you know what i mean that that i don't know i don't think she would have successfully like been an (laughs) older actress if you will you don't think she could have made the comeback tour no Mm. she's too delusional like too crazy I mean, but that that last scene when she gets to like play to the camera, it's it's haunting. She would have been great mm-hmm. in like um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, Mommy Dearest, things like that. Mm-hmm. Vampira. Vampira. Is, is she? She's not an influence on Vampira, right? No. Not sure. Okay. I, that, I, that I didn't find, throwing me. I didn't find it anywhere, but that's the vibes that I was getting when I was watching her come down the stairs, and I'm like, it's very vampiric. And I was thinking, ooh, Vampira. I wonder if that inspired because it's around the same time that vampire was out there in the world so mm-hmm. maybe could have been i gotcha well what about what about you um becky do you have anything you wanted to talk about the movie real quick talk about there's so much to talk about this movie mm-hmm. well i think we have to talk about the mansion itself because i think the mansion is a character in the movie yeah it's the it's this insulated world it's this fantasy land it's this decrepit haunted house with two ghosts still living in it yeah the the house is a whole realm in and of itself and it was a real house owned by john paul getty oh my gosh um it no longer exists the house was torn down i think um but there's also a tie-in to my favorite movie of all time and this house rebel without a cause oh really this is the mansion from rebel without a cause that is the, the swimming pool for real? For real, yeah. Oh. What year is Rebel Without a Cause? 55. Okay. And the house and the pool were torn down in 58. Okay. Wow. It is now a, I think, a building for John Paul Getty's business, and the pool is now a parking lot. You could park <laughs> where William Holden once swam. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can. Get that close to Hollywood history right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, that's cool. But, um, Yasmin, did you have any thoughts on the house? Did, you said you came here with a lot of questions, concerns, <laughs> concerns, thoughts, you know. Um, well, about the house, I mean, that first scene where Joe sees um, Norma really struck me because she, she calls out to him and says, like, oh, I've been waiting for you, or, like, why have you taken so long, something mm-hmm. like that. And when he sees her... It's through, like, a screen. Like, she's standing on a patio, but it's through this, like, blind or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very, um, you know, it's like an obstruction. Or he's seeing this apparition, almost, of, like, this ghost. or mm-hmm. with And she's wearing glasses, I think, as well, like, sunglasses. So that really struck me. I was like, it's almost like he's seeing something that's, like, removed, like, stuck in time or trapped behind, like, literally a screen. Yeah. Um, calling out to him, you know. I thought that that, I don't know, that visual image, that just struck me. 
I I think that imagery is really cool because it also ties in with like the you know the front door of the house. It's not a door. It's a it's a gate. gate. It's a gate. Mm-hmm. And you get all those shots at the end where or all the shots where people come in and the door closes and you see you know Gillis and and Norma and they're trapped in this like cage, mm-hmm. right? And it's like oh Norma is literally like caging up Gillis. You know mm-hmm. she never wants him to leave because she is got got the hots for a young William Holden there. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love the imagery of the movie because, you know, the gates, the screens, also the mirrors. The mirrors mm-hmm. are used a lot in this movie where, you know, we're just seeing kind of a reversed image of what's really happening. She's also surrounded by, like, all of these photos of herself from her, like, prime. And, and they're actual <laughs> pictures of her from her prime when she was a silent film right, actress. Right. So it's like, you know, it's authentic to to her because that was her. Mm-hmm. It is funny that of all the silent film actresses, they got the one actress who was just not Norma Desmond. They they did they yeah. talked to her about it and she was like, Oh yeah, you know, like yeah, my career dried up, but it was fine. I just went on, did television, did radio, you know, life happens, you know. Sometimes you get old and you lose the star, but hey, keep on keeping on. Right. I feel like she's like very unique in that way because I feel like most of these actresses would not have been able to play this character. You know, because it would have been too, like you said, too close for comfort, like for Montgomery Clift, like just too, too real. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the thing because I know that they tried to get um, uh, Mary Pickford, yeah. mm-hmm. who was like the original America's sweetheart, all that stuff. Right. And she read the script and she said, I am appalled by this. Like offended. Yeah. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is, I. she's like, I, I cannot ever see any actress of my era ever wanting to do this mm-hmm. billy wilder you sexist pig you and, and then uh, yeah. you have actresses like barbara stanwick that you know they they quoted that she kissed like the hem of gloria swanson's you know skirt saying thank you for kind of telling our story of mm-hmm. you know we were these greats and because of technology we kind of got washed out and we forgotten. have we've been forgotten you know we live in seclusion uh, people are suffering from mental illness, but you you know you kind of brought to light we are people. We're not just faces on the screen. Mm-hmm. Going back to Mae West as well, she was apparently really insulted that they offered her this role because she clung to her sex symbol yeah. like, status into her senior years. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, I feel like again she didn't have like the self reflection or like that like. To- awareness of her place in the world right and be like i'm an old lady like maybe i should give it up (laughs) maybe maybe me and brando probably couldn't you know work you know Mm -hmm. in this time god because i think i mentioned earlier like laura swanson she's only 50 right Mm -hmm. i don't know how old mae west would be or some of the other actresses because some of them i know were probably in like pushing 60 Mm -hmm. something like that like a whole decade older Mm -hmm. and it's like it that's a because I'm trying to look at the movie a little bit through, like, this, like, the female perspective here, like, through Norma's eyes. And, you know, hashtag white male privilege here. I'm saying <sighs> that she's probably, you know, well, well I'm just saying this because, like, I don't really know, right? Like, how do you think, like, this is a, how good of a depiction of this, of, like, the aging of a woman this actually is? Like, is this, like, her, she's still clinging on to it regretfully or... or I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's just a, I, is like, she like going character. through? Is she going through like a midlife crisis? So. A little bit, yeah. I think first of all, being 50 and like in 1950 is super different than being 50 in 2023. Yeah, because you have like like J Lo is like 52 or something, mm-hmm. and that's like a world of difference. Like, right? I mean, this woman is 
in this time is really like considered a senior, like considered an old lady. I mean, they say you're on death's door already, right? Like just basically just give it up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They say in the movie, like when she goes to Paramount, I think, and they're talking behind her back, they say like, Oh, isn't she dead? Or she's like older than God or something. And then Cecil B. DeMille is like, what does that make me? Cause he's older than her, you know? So what I'm saying is I think that she really would be considered like an old lady. In the fifties, at least, and she's—I think she's just she knows that, but she's really clinging to like her stardom and resisting it. Mm. I think that scene where she's preparing for what she thinks is going to be the production of Salome is so amazing. Where she's like, it looks like she has all these torture devices on yeah. her to yes. try to like, you know. That was that was pre-plastic surgery. Plastic mm-hmm. surgery she's going through. Ow! Damn. Yes, and and you complain about us about making noise. I'm I apologize. <laughs> the there's a whole there's a whole table here. Just... <laughs> you say as you're pouring down a forty right now. That's cool. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all hammered. Exactly. <laughs> that's why we're so quiet on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually just high and just like chuckling. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, we talked a lot about Gloria Swanson, who let's be steals the show. Like she Absolutely. is she is the hugest like like showstopper in the movie, but. She's playing opposite William Holden, and he came in two weeks before production, right? I believe so, yeah, because, you know, they had it with Montgomery Clift. I don't know if it was a thing where, you know, he was an alternate or someone they thought that they couldn't get. There's not too much that I found about that, but I think this doesn't work without anyone else but William Holden. Absolutely. I think he was the perfect, like, choice for this character. That sarcastic voiceover. He's he's mm-hmm. able to play that Billy Wilder like comedy, but really depressing dialogue both at once. It's, yes, and- you also don't hate him either. Like you know what I mean. Like he's a, I don't know. I mean he's a complex character. I guess is he a bad guy? That's I had that question too. Like who is the actual victim in this movie? You know. Yeah. Because he could have exploited her like to a much greater extent and really leaned into the whole like sugar baby yeah <laughs> role but he doesn't like he he's kind of ambivalent he's kind of reluctant but he also you i feel like you empathize with his struggle of like you know never really making it being in debt i mean the whole crux of the the relationship is the first time he tries to leave her she's tries she tries to kill herself yeah and he's like i i guess i can't leave and that seems like a granted hashtag toxic relationships right very but it's like he's doing the best he can he's trying to like like let her down as gently and as kindly as possible and it's a he pities her a lot like i don't think there's ever a point where he actually like loves her that's that's never in the cars for him Mm -hmm. but he pities her so much and i that's a it's a very interesting thing and his character, I always feel like he is like inches away from being a fucking um, noir bad guy. He's inches away from being like um, Tyrone Power from um, from Nightmare Alley. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's a villain. I don't think he is. Everyone's in this movie is a victim, which I think is right. interesting. That's why it's like you know, is Hollywood the villain? The system. The system. The industry. Yeah. Yeah. The industry. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they build these stars, they create these stars, and then, you know, just leave them out to dry. You know, that's it. We have a fresh batch of stars. We don't need you anymore. It's over. I would agree with that analysis. I think also he relates to her in a way, because even though she 
had great success, he's not able to make it. I mean, he's he's this aspiring, right, like screenwriter. Nobody will buy his script. Mm-hmm. Basically, I think he says he's only really done B movies. And so, yeah, they're both kind of victims of the industry and just it's cutthroat, right? Yeah. It's the it's the dichotomy of a has been and a never been coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, is Gillis a stand in for Billy Wilder because in his critiques of Hollywood, because Billy Wilder was a screenwriter before he was director. He worked in like the 30s and he worked a little bit in the silent era. And I'm wondering if it's him kind of talking through Gillis about all his gripes with Hollywood. Like you guys built up these stars. You made these goddesses of the screen and now you threw them aside for sometimes very arbitrary reasons and all the movies you want like what is it he brings them the script of the baseball player Mm -hmm. and then his producer is like that's pretty good but what if we made it a musical Mm -hmm. and basically changed 90 percent of it and he's like but that's not the story i wrote yeah but it'll sell and and it's interesting that in the movie the only scripts that we hear about that they're actually making are the lowest common denominator script, you know? Yeah. And the one that Betty and Gillis want to make is actually something of substance, and they still don't know if that's going to sell. I don't know that much about film history, but I would... Don't worry, venture. neither do I. I make it up as I go along, honey. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'd venture to say or guess that there was a movement away from, like, making real art films or things that were of greater, like, you know intellectual or artistic value towards like okay what's gonna make money right like we're at paramount pictures and we're looking at like make a hit basically blockbusters right like yeah. so i mean yeah i would i would think that maybe billy wilder is making that criticism for sure i think so too I mean, you know, he's he's good job. I I, I called it out. You did, but I I mean, I read the movie. You know, he's made some of the biggest, most iconic films that are out there. I mean, we've reviewed a couple of his films on the podcast recently or this past year, but I think you know maybe this was also kind of a cathartic way where it's you know I struggled all this time, and you know it took me all this time to get here. I mean, he doesn't end up in a pool like uh, old Gil does. Good old Gil. Good old Gil. (laughs) Good old Gil who turns into Mr. Steel, your girl, and then ends up dead in the pool. That uh, See, that is like the one part of the movie where I'm like, okay, you're you're kind of a bad guy because he is really trying to still steal Betty. Yeah, totally. The party scene, I'm like, that's so inappropriate. <laughs> you're sitting on the edge of a bathtub. Like, like you're both like, what are they reciting like Shakespeare or some like weird old play to each other i don't recall it wasn't familiar to me either whatever it is they're reciting they are inches away from just closing the door and just doing what god intended in that bathroom like inches away from it Mm -hmm. and then she's like hey the phone's free see ya see ya and her husband or her fiance is literally on the other side of the wall like what is and it's like the nicest guy in the world yeah Yeah. (laughs) i their whole relationship that part of the movie actually felt like a weaker, you know, like a weaker detail to me, but I feel like it was purposeful and I'm not, I haven't exactly put together like, you know, the, the meaning of that relationship or what it was supposed to be like. Well, we'll state, you know. state what you'd know and we'll try and fill in the gaps, you know, that's why you're here. <laughs> oh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I mean, Betty Schaefer is an interesting character to me because she tells Joe that she was originally going to be an actress, right? That her parents have been in the film industry and that she basically had a nose job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anticipating that she would be. It, yeah. it crooked off to the left a little bit, you know? Right. Right. Got that fixed. Yeah. And then she realized that she wanted to be behind the camera and she talks about how much she loves that and how much she wants to be like a, a writer, right? Um, but I wonder, like, they're definitely trying to contrast her with, you know, Norma Desmond. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I don't know where that's going. But, I mean, her character's interesting, but, like, their whole, all of the interactions between her and Joe, I was just like, why? Like, let's just get back to the spooky mansion <laughs> where, like, all of the fun happens. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's interesting about them contrasting because, yeah, Norma's somebody who clings on to the star power and Betty is somebody who's, like... The star doesn't appeal to her. She loves the art, right? The movies and things like that. But um, yeah, I really like the spooky mansion too. I ain't gonna lie to you. It's it is definitely the most interesting part of the movie. Well, definitely, but I think Betty's there because she kind of symbolizes passion and freedom, and Norma is just you know toxicity and darkness, and it's just you know the two where he's kind of like I have to be with her because I don't want her to kill herself, but at the same time. This girl over here, she, you know, pushes me to, you know, be passionate about writing and movies and, you know, express all the things that I love. And this one's just trying to keep me here as man candy. And yet she, he turns Betty down in the end. To save her. You think so? I think so. Because Norma's there listening above. That's when they pan over and she's there above. Mm. He knows that, you know, she'll continue. If she's going to call her nightly, which is kind of, kind of sus, you know. Norma Desmond calling you late at night to, you know, to like um, Betty could have endeared herself to Norma immediately and she's like oh my god you're Norma Desmond I love your movies let's write a movie for you I'm you your biggest fan I'm yeah. your biggest fan and Betty's I, not that smart you don't think she is mm, like she is not stupid but she's not that clever wow really talking down about the female leads <laughs> in this movie so know. sexist no, no, no. so Norma's sexist great. Norma's great against my own people oh, so sexist <laughs> so sexist yeah but um yeah the it is interesting how you bring that up. Like, Betty is this symbol, maybe not the symbol, but she is facilitating a far more creative life for Gillis. And I think that's a lot of what the movie is, you know? Gillis is trapped in this very uncreative, very sad world with Norma Desmond trying to rewrite a million page handwritten script that is obviously bad. And he only really finds true happiness and satisfaction in this beautiful creative process with Betty. And I think that it's interesting. We're seeing a lot going on as this dichotomy of these two, you know, women in the movie through the eyes of Joe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Does that help? It was yeah, good. that helps. That helps. I'm also thinking about Joe Gillis and like, um, not as a character so much, but more as what he represents of like modern Hollywood or modern movie making and why he has this like... He almost has a sense of obligation to, like, Norma Desmond in a way. Or, I don't know, like, he owes her something. He says, like, when she tries to kill herself that um, she was the only person who was ever kind to him. And that's why, you know what I mean, who actually cared. But, which is funny because if you see the end of it, you realize that she does not care at all. <laughs> oh, no. Like, it was all about her narcissism and yeah. her, her delusions. Um, Do you think Norma doesn't love him? Do you think Norma only I wants him as a... I think she loves herself. And she... Wants he's a just a projection of, like, her desire. 
Mm. Because when she kills him afterwards, she's not like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Poor good, poor Joe. She's just like, time for my close-up, you know? <laughs> she's a full break, you know? Yeah. Sitting there looking into her mirror, just getting creepier and creepier as the police are like, what happened? Did he try to steal from you? Did he try assaulting mm. you? And she's just there making so many different poses at once. Going and it's crazy. just like, I also, okay, I love that halt, like how the detectives talk to her because they're still like, this she's is, an old lady. Well, one, she's an old lady, but they're like, this is Hollywood. Hollywood takes care of its own. I mean, what is it? Like, there's a lot of stories of Hollywood, like big star Hollywood actors that just accidentally killed a person and yeah. they kind of like, mm. probation, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the cops are still treating this aging star with like kid gloves, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, like you you know she shot a man. Yeah. Why is she not in the back of the squad car? And it's it's so weird how even the cops are treating her with kid gloves because they're like, I mean, she's a faded star, but she was still a star kid, you know? Mm-hmm. We're still Hollywood fixes at the end of the day. I mean, also, it's like a great headline. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just love the scandal or had oh, a hoppers there. This Hollywood is the OJ the of uh, the 1950s. Yeah. There you go. I, 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 I guess. I guess. Uh, I think that maybe that's a stretch. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I watched... No, Becky. <laughs> I, I watched that FX show, what is it, um, America versus OJ Simpson yeah. or American Crime Story. You finally mm. watched that after well, I told you No, no, no. I, watch I watched it when you told me to watch it, okay. but I like rewatched it like not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, yeah, this shit was wild, people. My God. Also, like, Cuba Gooding Jr. was not a good O.J. Simpson. No. He was a good actor. Not a good O.J. Simpson. He's a good actor, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know. Your your thoughts on O.J.? Your thoughts on the juice? Um, That Heisman, you know? No comment. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, yeah, Hollywood has its controversies. So many. You know, there's books about all the crazy things that have happened in Hollywood. But the name Norma Desmond actually comes from controversy. So... Desmond, in her name, is from William Desmond Taylor, who was, I guess, a a movie director during the silent days. He was actually murdered, and his murder is still unsolved to this day. I guess he was sleeping with somebody's wife, was killed, and found in his writing bungalow. So it's just like, you know, kind of showing, yeah, you know, Hollywood has its ways, you know, Black Dahlia, Mm -hmm. still unsolved. You know, Hollywood takes care of its own, and... Didn't William Holden eventually die like a mysterious death? Or I think that's he, true. He died before Gloria Swanson. He he died two years before her. Uh-huh. So he died. I have it in here somewhere. Maybe like eighty one. I think Gloria she, Swanson lived for a long time. She think I think was eighty four, and he was like sixty three. Hmm. Okay. But I'm. That is kind of interesting because when was the Black Dahlia? Was that in like the thirties or forties? Because I'm. I think forties was it. Because they, they mentioned in the movie, it's like, oh, here's old Joel Gillis, you know, writer, playboy, Black Dahlia suspect. And mm-hmm, I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, ripping from the headlines, Billy Wilder. I see how it is. Yeah, it was probably like the 30s, the 40s. Yeah, but it's just, I think it's just interesting the Joe Gillis. Um, 1947, so only three years prior. Wow, that's that's, that's wow. rough, dog. That's rough. But I think it's interesting, you know, the um, the Joe Gillis relationship where he has with these two women in the film. And... He has a very weird relationship with Max in the movie. Is do you think like how do you think Joe looks at Max? Does he think Max is doing a good thing or a bad thing? Does he think Max is a fucking crazier than Norma? I don't think he thinks he's crazier, but I think that he thinks he's guilty of playing into her mm-hmm. whole, you know, insanity and 
delusional behavior because he tells he tells max like we have to tell her the truth you Mm -hmm. know we have to wake her up and he's like no i can't or i don't even know if he says anything i think he just just she's sick and it's just like you Mm -hmm. know you've been with her all this time you could have gotten her help granted you know during this time it would have been an asylum but she's just descending further and further into madness to the point where she does kill somebody and you wonder about her two other previous husbands what happened to them it's like a blue beard type of, <laughs> or like your typical gothic novel where there's like dead husbands in the attic or rather dead wives, but you know. I'm, there's a few dead dead husbands in the there's attic. There's definitely you know? some dead people. There's got to be a few. I mean, there's a dead monkey in the yard, so. Yeah. Okay, okay I got to ask, what yeah. the fuck was the monkey about? I'm really into it. Like <laughs> you're, in, you're, you're really into monkeys? Dead monkeys. Um, Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah, no, this got no, dark. No. no, just that whole image like really struck me because this is his first night in this mansion. And the whole place feels like a funeral. When he goes in, the mm-hmm. first thing that Max says to him is like something about a coffin. Yeah. So you're like, and then he gets freaked out. Like, what What am I doing? Um, but yeah, his first night there, he looks out. He sees this, you know, empty tennis court that's all run down he sees this empty pool that's filled with leaves and rats and then he sees that they're burying a chimp in the yard and she's she's like dressed like some kind of i don't even know what like like edgar Allan post fantasy dreams yes yeah with like a veil and she's carrying this giant like candelabra (laughs) and her (laughs) her butler is like carrying out this coffin right this child-sized coffin it's super creepy um but that to me was like, okay, this woman has no legacy. Like this, she has no husband, right? Or at least, I mean, no family, no children. Like the only thing that she can cling to is this like faded career. I don't know. That's what it represented to me was that, and that chimps are also like, I don't know. I feel like a symbol of like um, performance and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he does make the comment, you know, oh, imitation. I had this. He's like, oh, I had this dream of this organ player, and then there was the chimp playing the grinder, right? For for coins. Yeah. 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 And we do have the creepy organ in the house that Mm -hmm. the wind, you know, mysteriously gets into, and it just plays Mm -hmm. this ominous, you know, kind of theme in the background. And I'm like, yeah, this house wasn't scary enough, but now we have (laughs) creepy organ music. Norma Desmond herself is scary. Yes. 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 Oh, oh God! The, the creepiest shot of Norman Desmond—that Norman Desmond—that's not, you know, the coming at the camera thing—is when she stands up in the projection room. And you have the backlight going on, the smoke. Oh, and she does I, the, I love the that hold scene the hand so up, much. Mm-hmm. Where it's like that right there is a star, and it's like that is like such a striking image right there. It's like, oh, that might be my favorite in the movie. But uh, uh, something interesting about, um, you know, symbolism in the movie and monkeys and all that stuff. You notice how Max always wears white gloves throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the only scene he doesn't have them in is when he gets confronted about, tell her you've been writing all the letters, letters this whole time. And it's like, oh, he finally has to take the gloves off mm-hmm. to like let her down and still he can't do it. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. a really interesting little symbol thing that I picked up in the movie. Yes, you did. Good job. See, that is a good point. <laughs> see, I can read movies. <laughs> yes, you can. I had no doubt. Oh, um, yeah. Max is also, when they go to Paramount, what struck me about him was that he literally looked like a member of like the Gestapo, like <laughs> the, the all black suit. Yeah, with the with the hat, like he looked like a Nazi straight up. Like we don't need invitation. And yeah, it was just like yeah. just wow, just throwing Eric von Stroheim under the bus. There, I see right. how it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna 
take some low blows. But <laughs> that was the vibe I was getting. And I'm like, I'm not sure if this is significant, but it's weird. Mm. Mm. So also question, what was Cecil B. DeMille actually directing? I have it somewhere. Okay, because like you go on set and you see all these old people dressed in like, I would imagine like Egyptian or biblical attire mm-hmm. and they all swarm Norma. I'm like, what is going on here? Well, I just, I'm just interested to know. From he, my understanding, it's filming, a real movie he's yeah, directing. Yeah, it was a real movie. It was a real set. It was Samson and Delilah, 1949. Mm, very interesting. Ooh. Yeah, so was real. That is the Cecil B. DeMille set on Paramount. It's now the Star Trek set. But for years, it was his set. It's the biggest set on there. And I was like, that's kind of cool. All the they... best things come out of that set, just saying. Uh, uh, Star Trek is great. Star Wars is better. <laughs> no, but... it's not. Uh, yes, it is. But yeah, I thought, it was cool. <laughs> I, I thought it was cool that they actually incorporated a real movie and showing her the process of this, you know, of times movie Modern. being filmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Cecil didn't come cheap. He It cost him 10 million, or sorry, 10,000 for his cameo in this movie. And a new Cadillac. I, I love so old So there was a car like, like actually involved. Because in the there, movie, yeah. there's a car involved in, in real life. Oh, yeah. There was he a car involved. He actually wanted a car. <laughs> and I, then appar- I love that. Apparently, Billy Wilder went back to DeMille because he told him, hey, we need a close-up of you that we didn't get the day that we were here. And DeMille was like, okay, another 10K, please. So Ruthless. 20K for this movie and a car. Um. Yeah, I was going to say something, but I don't remember. Well, Cecil B. DeMille is also, it's also interesting because Cecil B. DeMille for the longest time was like the biggest director out of Paramount, out of Hollywood. He directed um, the Ten Commandments, both versions. Um, And he he was like a huge, huge director for the longest time. And it's kind of fascinating that Gloria Swanson or Norma Desmond is like, only DeMille could bring you back. And it's like she puts herself on such a lofty status that she's like, I will only act if like Steven Spielberg directs me mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it's like that is a that's another level of her delusion of her like illusions of grandeur mm-hmm. that's still there. And I'm and I'm like really, really interested in, you know, Cecil B. DeMille being in this movie because he's actually like pretty good as like just a, a walk on like cameo in the movie. I was like, I thought he was like a real ass actor for a while. He did direct her in real life, right? He directed Gloria Swanson. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So that's what shocked me is that like this movie is so meta that like so many people are playing themselves, basically. That's what makes it creepy because it doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like we're watching real a life. documentary. Yeah, like exactly a documentary or like something auto autobiographical or whatever. Yeah, because I don't know um, if you caught it when they're leaving the studio. She calls or he calls um, Norma Young Fellow. And apparently that was uh, a nickname he came up with her, you know, throughout her time at the studio because she was tougher than any man. So Mm -hmm. he says it in the movie, you know, okay, well, it was good seeing you, young fellow. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, you know, this really makes it feel like real. These are two real people interacting and we're not watching a movie. I just wonder what conversations were surrounding the production of this because, (laughs) I mean, dang, like he's basically saying in the movie, I would never work with her again. She's totally washed up her script is terrible yeah you know and she's just like i mean aware of that it is interesting that that the mill calls that out in like the end where he's like never ever 
let her come back on this set again. I do never want to see her again. And it's like... And get me Gordon Cole on the phone. Yeah. Twin Peaks reference, by the way. Yes, it was. Bingo. David Lynch. (laughs) Um, But that's the thing. Like, DeMille... Because he seems to, like, enjoy talking to her for a little bit. I think he's aware that she's a little, like, loosey-goosey. But, like, their interaction is amicable. I'm surprised he's... There's, like, no attempt to maybe, like, mend her in any way or... Or maybe, like, send... Not, not like, not have Celso be the mill director, you know? But, like, eh, we'll talk to somebody in, like, the B-picture unit to give you something to do. Or is that, like, way too much of, like, a kindness that this movie is definitely not interested in? I think it's a thing where, you know, everyone talks in Hollywood and, you know, granted she's been this recluse for maybe 20 years, however long she's been in this mansion. And, you know, he's probably heard the stories of, Hey, you know, Norma, she was already starting to lose it when the talkies came in and it's only gotten worse. So it's like, I can, you know, sit there and talk with you and, you know, be polite and regale, you know, tales of the past, but we're not moving forward because you're still stuck in the past. I think that people do like truly pity her, but um, they basically are looking out for themselves because his, I think when they do get Gordon Cole, they start talking smack about Norma Desmond. Like his assistants start talking smack about her. And then Cecil B. DeMille is like, hold on. You didn't know her when she first started out, when she was like a young 17 year old or something, she was smart. She was, you know, hardworking. She was like actually a delight to work with basically um so he says that like he stands up for her in a way but he just doesn't want to have anything to do with her professionally anymore Mm. um it's probably the thing where you know that's where he keeps her in his head you know she is that bright-eyed 17 year old that was so fresh and full of life and talent and you know mm -hmm. he just can't you know face the fact that she is just so far gone right it's like he needs her to be that person that she was not this person that she's kind of turned into with the lack of fame and whatever she's struggling from. That's this whole interesting conversation around like um, whether it's better for these actresses to kind of like just distill their memory in time and fade away in reality or to like try to pursue a return because um, she says, you know, when Joe is trying to leave her, like you can't leave me because I'm a star and stars are eternal. Basically (laughs) like, you know, Sounds I'm, like something that Dean would tell me. I'm a star. <laughs> well, well, I mean, like in a, what is it? That philosophical like idea where you die two deaths, one where your mortal body mm-hmm. dies and one when the last person who remembers you dies. Yeah. And it's like, if you're a star, right? Charlie Chaplin is a mortal. Yes. He, right? he lives in the minds he and the memory of the, everyone. He lives on the silver screen for all of eternity. And like, mm-hmm. that's another interesting like thought here because, you know, if Norma Desmond just, fucking died or whatever at like 33 in a car accident they'd be like she was one of the most beautiful screen gems of the silent era and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff and it's the thing where you know not like you know oh she if she faded off gracefully kind of thing and the audiences and the stars and the people would remember her as this kind of immortalized figure of Mm -hmm. her stardom it's kind of like what happened with marilyn monroe the reason why so many people hold her in this memory of being this you know gorgeous eternal star qualities because she never she never saw old age she never she never faded out like marlon brando did where like there's the images of like well there's marlon brando on the waterfront streetcar named mm-hmm. desire godfather where he's this star he's this you know giant titan of of the industry and then you have island of dr moreau brando where he 
he went to Pink's uh, Hot Dogs every Friday night and was like, <laughs> if I don't finish 50 hot dogs, I didn't do a service to myself. Like, like that's an interesting, like, arc of the career, you right? You have James Dean that is immortally 24 years old. He's, you know, this gorgeous thing. You never, you know, saw him age and turn into, you he's, know, an old he's, man. He's 24 that looks 34. Let's be honest here. Drinking <laughs> hey, and smoking did a lot to that man. different time. Though. Different People time. People older. Rough life. Um, I don't know if this point is like tangential, but thinking about like film. A, a tangent on this podcast? I would never. Unheard of. Unheard of. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. <laughs> All right. Um, it's interesting to me to think about how like film is um, permanent, basically. Like once you like record something or like, you know, like um, make a movie, right? You can always refer back to it. Whereas like if she was a stage actress or whatever, mm-hmm. they don't, they wouldn't have had, right? Like recordings of it or um, basically what I'm saying is um, I wonder if her having been a film actress is more like thankless if you will because people can always refer back to her work like basically they don't need her anymore now that she's an Mm -hmm. old lady they can be like oh we can see norma desmond when she was in her prime when she was at her like the height of her career and i guess if this was you know a hundred years prior in 1850 and she was a theater actress Mm -hmm. people would have still been like let's consult norma desmond like let's have her i don't know perform or even just talk about like how it was being a stage actress do you know know what i'm saying Yeah. yeah i'm picking it up yeah so I don't know. I wonder if this is also in some ways a comment on like permanency through film or whatever and how like it basically just like we got what we wanted and now we're just going to dispose of that person Mm -hmm. outside of, you know, the art they created. Yeah. Yeah. Like because we don't need you anymore. We have this record and it's Mm -hmm. forever. I mean, it's interesting to think about it because like even like, you know, the stage and film and all that stuff. Because we don't know what the best performance of Romeo and Ju- the best performers of Romeo and Juliet were, because yeah. that was on the stage for three hundred years before we figured out how to like do cameras. So it's like with the advent of film, like you can achieve a level of that immortality, you know. And it's it's very interesting because it's not. I guess it's not like true immortality. But you can lock in a person in a singular moment of time and you are looking at them at their peak, at their best Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of thing. You don't need them anymore, kind yeah. of. I mean... That was so depressing. I mean, true. Yeah, like, why, to... why would I need you, Brando? I got I got on the waterfront over here, yeah. you know, cast them off to the but side. But it's another, like, aspect of just the nature of the industry, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even need to hear about it either. Like, you don't need to, to get them... To tell you stories about, you know, the greatest performance of, like you said, Romeo and Juliet or whatever. You don't need to even need to be an Oscar-worthy actor. You could just, you know, want to be famous. Like, um, I can't think of the actress's name. She tried to be an actress. She just couldn't do it. And she climbed up the Hollywood sign and she jumped off of the H and killed herself and became immortal because everyone heard, you know, this girl, you know, she committed suicide. And she's, you know, forever immortalized as, you know, the ghost of the, the Hollywood sign. And it's just like... That's what, you know, some people in Hollywood really want. They just want to be remembered for whatever reason. They want right. fame. Yeah. 15 minutes or five seconds <laughs> throwing yourself off the Hollywood sign. Yeah. Five, well, well, yeah, it probably yeah. does take five seconds to get from the top of the Hollywood sign all the way down to the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, pretty, they're big. pretty big letters. Oh. <laughs> True. It's pretty True. big. I, I think, isn't like, the Hollywood sign's weird because I think the H is owned by the Playboy company. 
I think that's how that works. By Hugh Hefner. I think, yeah, actually, I think that's... That that's is what's... so, like, egotistical and insane of him. Well, well, that I does mean, not surprise me at all. Well, I mean, well, Hugh... let alone he's, you know, buried on top of Marilyn Monroe. I mean, oh, I... God. Poor I mean, woman. I... Poor mm. woman. <laughs> Poor woman, indeed. But but I think like, that's, all like, All I wanted thing. was some peace and death, but no, I have to have, like... Yes. An old perv, like, yeah. buried on top of me. On top, yeah. But yeah, I think I think that's like a thing. Like when the Hollywood sign got like really run down in like the fifties and sixties, yeah. like they asked for a bunch of donations to rebuild them, and you could, and at that time you could just buy a letter of the Hollywood sign, and that was like interesting. I didn't your, know that. Yeah, it was like your company's responsibility to keep up that letter. So I think yeah, the H is like Hugh Hefner, and then I think uh, the D might be owned by like Dolly Parton or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like people try to get like the letter from their name or something like that. Okay. But yeah, there's a bunch of different companies that own different letters. So. Yeah, because I know the Hollywood sign celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool to get the whole Hollywood land, but I mean, just seeing Hollywood anytime we pass by the, the mountains is cool. But yeah, so that's a fun fact about the Hollywood sign and mm-hmm. people jumping off the fucking H in there. <laughs> That's why it's I'm so secure. You can't get up there. With you too. <laughs> uh, but it, I think you do bring up this really interesting thought about, you know, film and immortalization. And because n- Norma Desmond, she watches her old reels and she's like, right mm-hmm. there, that's when I was a star. That's when I was, you know, the queen of the screen. You know, that's when I was beautiful. And she is even like relishing in her own imagery. Like y- you called it like narcissism. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm I'm almost wondering if she's trying to look at that and be like that is what I'll be remembered for. Mm-hmm. That is the legacy, that is, you know, my immortality, you know? And I think she's more sad that that's it. I, I think she's more sad people forgot her than she's grown old, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think also going back to like her relationship with Joe Gillis and whether she cared about him at all. Mm-hmm. I really feel like that relationship is like autosexual if you will like it's more about just um her her Mm -hmm. and like maybe also she's excited by the idea that this young man is even there with her like spending time with her and you know dancing with her on new year's eve i don't know and making sure he looks pretty yeah and it yeah white wearing like a a tuxedo with tails and Mm -hmm. i think it just it feeds into again this dilute trying to keep up this fantasy this delusional you know i mean they they're they definitely banged on on new year's right no they he goes they 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 allude to it he he goes and he's like happy new year norma and then she goes in for the kiss and it fades to black do you want to know something funny about that kiss what so billy wilder he has a good sense of humor to himself so apparently they go in for the kiss and he just didn't say cut so they're making out on the bed for a few minutes, and it was actually William Holden's wife that had to like get up and say like, "Okay, cut, stop," because she just couldn't, you know, take seeing the two of them making out. And Interesting. I was just like, "Were they just like going at it for the sake of professionalism?" Yeah, they just kept okay. going. Because I feel like he wouldn't actually enjoy that. Well, Gloria Swanson no was chemistry. probably Gloria Swanson was like, "This is my time to shine." <laughs> Gloria Swanson was like, like, "I was kissing fellas before you were born, son." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um. He do- they don't have chemistry, in my opinion, by no, any means. No, no, no. Like, you you don't think so? Okay, n- n- I don't mean like you know no. romantic chemistry, but like on screen chemistry. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, for sure, you feel like he's taking care of his like geriatric neighbor and just feels bad. That is but so mean. Like, well, there, there's no there there's is, no romance. You know what? I feel like that's just real. Like I feel like you as as the viewer feel how kind of like 
begrudging Mm -hmm. he feels and how like resentful he feels and that's like part of the experience of the film is that you're supposed to feel that way that it's like it's kind of annoying but you know she's paying for everything yeah he's not sugarcoating it like a lot of relationships where we see where there's like an actual celebrity and someone that isn't and they're not really interested but they're interested in the money and they're going to pretend that they're you know I do love you oh you know you are everything and it's just like no, I'm in it for the trips, the cash, the clothes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happened to Groucho Marx. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know that story? No. Okay, you know how Sunset Boulevard worked out? So replace Joe Gillis with um, Groucho Marx with like a, a nurse. And Groucho Marx had like three or four strokes near the end. So he was kind of like out of it. But she just like cut him off from his family, mm-hmm. took all of his money in like lived the life well you know Groucho his children was... were, were fighting and saying you know mm. this woman doesn't love him you know she's really taking advantage of our father mm-hmm. and she made off with all his earnings you know because he came up from the vaudeville days he really he banked know, away a lot yeah, of cash he right. did and you know she just kind of skated away with his millions and left his family high and dry brutal mm-hmm. brutal but so like common actually mm-hmm. and rob zombie wanted to make that into a film absolutely not <laughs> That, that's like a real thing though that was his passion will, project he was riot. like that he's like that was riot. gonna be he's like that was you know i was gonna make that if i wanted to try and make an oscar film you know if i you know pull back the rob zombieisms i would make that movie he already tormented me with the monsters absolutely not you're not you've never rough. seen the monsters just the trailers that's enough yeah that sounds like enough that sounds like enough yeah mm. have you seen the monsters no no not 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 a fan no. not going into I that i mean i just yeah mm. haven't not, gone down that path not a rob zombie person no, no, generally no. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm missing out or no. what. But I trust Becky, so yeah, you know, Thank you. I, I wouldn't say missing out, but some sometimes it's weird. Um, but yeah, uh, Sunset Boulevard, you know, imitate life imitating art, art imitating life. Yeah, and I mean, I think we have to talk about life because it was nominated for eleven Academy Awards. It mm-hmm. did win three of them for best writing. Uh, art direction, best score. Score was done by Franz Waxman, who did The Bride of Frankenstein, Rear Window. Um, Her in her top three favorite Rebecca um, composers of all time. Yeah. Also, how did Gloria Swanson not win a fucking Oscar for this? She was nominated. It, it was I, one. Yeah. It was one of those films where the actual stars were nominated for an Oscar. Best actor, best yeah. actress. Yeah, she, I know. She, her performance was honestly. Well, insane. Her not winning was actually one of the Academy Awards' biggest upsets. Really? Yeah, because she lost to Judy Holiday for um, Born Yesterday, which was also with William Holden, came out the same year. And I, I love Born Yesterday. That's something that I've wanted to bring to the podcast for a while. We just haven't been able to fit it. But I can see where it's an upset because as much as I love that movie, Gloria Swanson deserved it. And at the same time, uh, Betty Davis was also nominated for All About Eve. So it was one of those oh, years dang. where wow. it's just massive movies. Was insane. Yeah. yeah. Betty Davis also scary, in my opinion. <laughs> Real scary. Oh, uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Mm-hmm. I, whatever Happened to Baby Jane is like the unofficial sequel to Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> I, I watched that movie like... I don't know, not that long ago. And I know people are like, oh, it's so campy and it's all, it's basically a comedy. I'm watching it. I'm like, this is worse than The Exorcist. I am so <laughs> uncomfortable throughout the entire runtime of this movie. And you, you, you mentioned at the, uh, at the beginning, you know, you read Sunset Boulevard's like a black comedy. Well, I read that it was like, 
in the genre of like film noir, but also black comedy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is a tragedy. Yeah. (laughs) It's a straight horror movie half the time. Yeah. And a horror movie for sure. I mean, I felt that way. You want to know something scary? Uh, Yes. So apparently Gloria Swanson, according to her daughter, was a method actor. So the entirety of this making of the movie, she stayed in the Norma Desmond character. So she'd go home. I'm not okay with that. Yeah, she'd go home and she'd still be doing Norma Desmond. And it wasn't until the final day, the final scene, she came home and she told her daughter, okay, it's not the three of us anymore. It's just the two of us. And I was like, oh my God, she's real. She was possessed. And um, Anyone else not okay with that? (laughs) I'm not okay with it. I'm freaked out. Your mom comes home being like, no, there's only the two of us, not three of us anymore. That'd be it. You're going to the home. It's over. No, mom, there's only one of us. (laughs) You're going away. Um, No, that makes sense to me, though, because, I mean, her performance was so, you know, believable i mean you yeah yeah. and it's weird because she's so over the top in some scenes but you never doubt this woman is norma desmond it's so no no it's so weird can i also say something real quick because we were talking about the house her bed that like golden boat with the angels totally reminds me phantom of the opera because it is is it it is because it was like it's from lon chaney's phantom of the opera oh my god yeah um that was going to be my, so my trivia sense. fact of the... Oh, dang, no, sorry, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Stop banging the table. I'm sorry. It's so loud. <laughs> um, no, but I was like, that is so perfect because it's like, first of all, this house is like a lair, this like, you know, yeah. un- underground, if you will. I mean, you got the organ, right? The organ. Yeah. Just like the monkey. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm so proud of my cousin. She picked up on Phantom of the Opera. I try. I try. Um, I mean, that's even like a symbolic thing because Phantom of the Opera was like this like when you think of like old school silent movies, you think yeah. you know Lon Chaney with like the Man of a Thousand thing. Faces, Man of a Thousand Faces, and it's mm-hmm. like she's even living in this like silent era, insulated like set too. Like it's, oh, it's her it's her so life weird. is a film basically. Maybe yeah. Joe is like the new you know he's actor the new leading man on the set. Yeah, Welcome. he's her Christine. Oh dang! Oh shit! Because she's got a mask on. She's got a permanent mask on. Yeah. yeah. Are oh my gosh, that dude, or... that scene though, when she's coming down the stairs, it's like, oh no, the mask has become her. Yeah. She's, and even Max, by the way, is like freaked out at, in that final scene. You see it on his face where he's like, she's Terrifying. gone full catatonic, nuts. Yeah. I I love in that, okay, because the ending scene of this movie is fucking perfection. And that's what you see when you see, you know, anyone talking about this movie is her descending the stairs. Looking into the mirror first. Mm-hmm. Looking almost past the mirror. Like, she's not even looking at a reflection. And she, then, yeah, the descent. Yeah, and I love how Max is like, he's mm-hmm. like, all right, boys, can't get the lights ready. Camera, action. He calls it out, right? And the only and the thing that's going through my mind, because that's like, that's Eric Armstrong. It was a real director. Mm-hmm. He directed Greed. He's considered one of the best movies ever made. Is all this other stuff. And I'm like, you are literally calling action for the last time. Yeah to to the last star of your thing and it's like this is it's a tragedy for all of them because yeah norma is completely gone like her head is she's million miles away she's you know the the spry 17 year old who's going down for the her last star performance but max it's also this tragedy too because he's like well my my star is gone officially i am there's nothing left for me to hold on to like i i made my life around this woman 
And the only thing I can do for her is call action one last time for her last fantasy, right? And it's so perfect that he's a butler because his like whole life is contingent on her, basically. Yeah. Um, beautiful love story. Beautiful love story. <laughs> Charming, wholesome. Oh, uh, a little funny, you know. I think hilarious. Where is the screwball comedy of Max and Norma? You know, where's that movie? No, no. I mean, challenge accepted, <laughs> or <laughs> in another lifetime. Oh Lord. Um, real quick, the descent too. I love that she's descending a staircase. Um, because. I mean, to me, I was like, okay, she's descending into madness full on. She's also descending from the height of like her career, like actually Mm -hmm. coming down from the prime. I mean, it's such a beautiful like visual metaphor, I felt. Oh, yeah. I also love how when she's like, what's the scene, Max? And he's like, Mm -hmm. it's the it's the princess coming down from the palace. Mm -hmm. It's the princess, not the queen. Mm -hmm. So even he's like. She's a young, yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. lovely 17 year old. Yeah. 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 It's just lovely. It Charming. Yeah. A laugh riot, honestly. Really laugh. creepy. Just, just <laughs> really creepy. creepy. Yeah. But yeah, um, so anybody else got anything for Sunset Boulevard? No? I, have, I have one more trivia fact that I could throw out there. I mean, apart from the bed. Uh, uh, is this going to be another one, Yasmin Ruins? <laughs> she didn't ruin it. Just caught me off guard that she Dang. that she did, you know, I knock throw it out of the, the park. Bus, you know? I try. I mean, I don't know that much about film, but I like to think I know how to analyze stories because I spent some time, you know, studying lit literature, if you will. St- studying lit? It was lit. lit. It was lit. It was lit. <laughs> oh. So I try not to disappoint Becky. That's what my life is really about. Oh, I see. I wow. See. I didn't know that. Cool. That's that's fucking deep, bro. Yeah. She is the max to your Norma Desmond. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Am I going crazy? Ooh. Or I, yeah, I am... I'm the max to your normal, yeah. Oh my god, I'm going crazy. Are you gonna shoot me? <laughs> you're great. <laughs> you're great. You're just lovely. You know, Beans, you're really challenging. <laughs> Did her. you just call me Beans? <laughs> she told you about that, didn't she? Not uh, at all. That. <sighs> and I was actually gonna set you up for it because the writers of this movie didn't think that the movie was gonna, you know, be a success. Like most movies, like you know, Casablanca, you know, all oh, this picture, it's not gonna last. So they actually coded the the name of this movie a can of beans. And I was going to try to like follow you but for her, but she completely caught me <laughs> off guard. I'm uh. like, I came prepared. I was like, I got to pepper that in there just to like, again, just to delight Becky. Just to I'm... Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So that expense. was Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Well, I didn't give you my last One more thing. Can we talk? Yeah, you need to. And you then, first. Yeah. Okay. I just want to know what people thought about like the opening credits because I was just focused on the fact that the image they chose was just us like going along sunset boulevard going along like yeah that's the opening it's just the road and i'm like this feels very like it has this sense of like fatefulness or like this this is this path that's taking us just like i mean he kind of ends up at her house you know Mm -hmm. by chance but i wondered whether anybody had any kind of interesting insight into that the fatefulness of it and the path leading to like this I to, kinda, the, to the past, if I, you will. I kind of took it that, you know, if you actually go to Sunset and you walk down it, a lot of these buildings are still there. Just like when he's mm-hmm. driving and trying to get away from, like, the repo men. You drive along these streets. They still look the same. Um, I did Google, or I Google mapped Norma's house. Mm-hmm. And there's something there. There's a huge shrubbery that's, you know, kind of protecting whatever it is. But the street still looks the same as it does in the movie. And apparently where the house sits... Uh, her neighbor that's, you know, a couple yards away 
is Michael Jackson, the house that he died in, uh, like 10 or so years ago. <laughs> Creepier and creepier. A little creepy. And little then, creepy. you know, her other closest neighbor, not too close, but, you know, close enough, was Lauren Bacall. And I was just like, wow, you know, these are, you know, the mansions of... Starlets. Of yeah. stars, yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And you drive through, like, um, when we go to Burbank or when we go to, you know, L.A., and you drive through some of these neighborhoods and it's like, they still look the same. Mm-hmm. Put a throw a filter on it and it's just, you know, you're still there. What about the significance of like debt collectors, like um, chasing him basically into that spot? Um, On the note of the, on the note of that, and also on the note of the road, I looked at the road. It's like, you know, it's the, it's Hollywood. It's the Boulevard of Broken Dreams, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. All, all things end on, on Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. But with the debt collectors, I think a lot of that is... You know, Gillis is at the end of his rope. He has nothing left. The debt collectors chasing him are like, hey, buddy, you couldn't make it in Hollywood. So we're going to take the last thing from you, your car. And then that's, you know, send you off back to Dayton, Ohio. They're, you know, because Hollywood is, is, you know, the Mm -hmm. stereotype of it. It's just just there to take from you. And even his agent tells him, he's like, you know, let them take your car. You need to lose everything because when you lose everything, you'll be inspired. You'll be inspired. And that's mm-hmm. when you make your comeback and you come back big. And Fuck that guy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> While he's playing call. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm. He's like, I could let you have the 300, but nah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I think that's a thing where it's like, it, again, it's this big critique of Hollywood where it's like, oh, you come here, try to make it big as a writer. And it's just going to take everything from you until mm-hmm. you got nothing left. Mm-hmm. And this one, it's like, well, it's taking all those material possessions, but it's also took all his creativity, all of his drive. It took his life. And it took his life, mm-hmm. you know? It, it took everything from him, just like how it took all all of Norma's, like, sanity, joy, mm-hmm. youth, essentially. Like, she didn't really have, like, a youthful time in her life. She didn't have a 20s or 30s. She had work, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? They they took her legacy from her, you know? So they took her innocence from her. Because mm-hmm. at 17, you're still, you know you're still growing up and you get thrown into the Hollywood system and it's just, you know, work, 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 parties and insanity. And that's what we're left with with her. She's just, you know, she's not Norma Desmond anymore. She's kind of just the shell of her. Mm-hmm. I think that informs her attitude towards money too. Cause she's, she says to Joe in the car, like, we have all this money. I'm rich, you know, rich. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> well, you know, we might as well spend it basically. Like, what did I even do all this for? Like, let's just blow it. You and know? she proves that she's, you know, she's smart. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. money from acting. It's she's like, oh, yeah. Investments. You know, investments. Yeah. She got into oil. She owns, you know, properties. And it's like, well, damn, Norma, you have been busy. Even though you've been a recluse <laughs> in that house. <laughs> it's a thing where I'm like, Norma, you could just open your own fucking studio if you wanted mm-hmm. to. Like, yeah. you can make your own fucking movie. You know, if if the mill's only ten grand a day, like I think you could swing this. Well, ten grand a day for Billy Wilder, but for Norma, I think she's more self doubting than she lets on, and she I think she needs affirmation from others too. That's like a huge part of it. That and and also because she's a recluse, she doesn't know about these new directors that are out. You know, great people that would work with her and you know kind of, you know, be on the same playing field. She's still in the mind of. Cecil B. DeMille is everything, and that's what I want. I mm-hmm. want the best. The best, yeah. Word. Word, <laughs> word, yo. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so you had one more trivia fact for us before one, we headed out? One more trivia fact. Uh, I'm going to have to buy the DVD because I want to see if this exists anywhere. But apparently the movie began, the original movie, began and ended in the morgue. And I was like, well, 
the movie doesn't start in the morgue, doesn't end in the morgue. So apparently when they were showing it to test audiences, they started in the morgue. And you know how we have, you know, the, the voiceover of William Holden explaining, you know, how he got to, you know, his demise. Mm-hmm. So apparently it starts in the morgue and he's talking to the fellow corpses in the morgue. Kind of like when you see like in prison movies, you know, so what got you in here? And so they're basically having that conversation and they're like, you know, so, you know, how'd you end up here? And he's like, oh, I drowned. And some guy's like, oh, what did a, you know, St. Bernard jump on you in the pool? And he goes, no, I went into the pool with a couple extra holes in my body that I didn't have. And they're like, oh, you were murdered? And he goes, yeah, I was murdered. And the test audiences, they thought it was hysterical. They were laughing and... Too funny. The, the, I would, I would have also like, laughed. It's ridiculous. The studio yeah. was like, yeah, we can't do this. We need to have it, you know, more kind of, you know, noir and, well, how did he end up here? You know, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would have loved to see that. The other corpses, what do you mean you got killed? Are you okay? Are you like, are you all right? It, it's one of those things where I'm like, the voiceover in some instances is is bordering on high comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is very close to me being like, am I supposed to laugh at this? If it weren't for the fact this is so depressing, this would be hilarious. But yeah. I feel like that opening scene though with the pool, him floating in the pool is so much more poignant though because mm-hmm. you see like the flash bulbs and you see him just floating there saying, I always wanted a pool. And it's like, yeah, yeah you were, <laughs> like you said, like you never made it, you know, just a wannabe. It, um, I lo- I also love that shot where they're looking up from under the water and he's floating mm-hmm, there and they're mm-hmm. under there and it's like oh I, th- I just love all the imagery in this movie. There's like 15 yeah. like master masterfully composed shots in this movie mm-hmm. that are just like uh, height of cinema. Do you know how they made Chef's that shot? Face. I assume like it's like um it's like a pool with like a glass bottom and they went underneath it. They had it, but they really wanted um you know kind of like the waves. They wanted everything, so they ended up shooting it through a mirror. Oh, okay. That so, is even more interesting. So that's why I kind of love that, you know, mirrors are so well used in this movie. Like when him and Norma get into the fight before she slits her wrists, you see her run up the stairs, but you see her framed in the mirror as she's running mm-hmm. up the staircase. So it's like you're watching a movie within a movie. So it's like, I love that, you know, we're just kind of looking through the looking glass in this movie. How people see themselves, how they imagine themselves. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's that right. much more dramatic seeing her run through the frame. Mm-hmm. Instead, mm-hmm. And also when she looks in the mirror before going in there, it's like she's putting her face on. Like she's mm-hmm. putting on the guise of whatever Joe wants or whatever she thinks Joe wants. Like she's putting oh, right, on right. that that performance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, that was Sunset Boulevard, ladies and gentlemen. A laugh riot. Lovely film. Watch it with your kids. You know, just a beautiful film. Feel good film. Feel good film for the ages. But, uh, you know, so... Overall, how'd you like Sunset Boulevard? I loved it. And I wanted to watch it again before the podcast, but I didn't have time. But I'm actually glad I didn't because I feel like the first impression was like important to go off of, if you will. Really strong. Yeah. Yeah. Would would you recommend? Highly recommend. Not with your children, but highly (laughs) recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Not family viewing. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Two thumbs up. I love this movie so much. It it gets better every time I see it. I think I'm going to have to move it out of my watch every 10 years list to watch it maybe once a year because i mean this movie just gets better and better i would i would agree this is one this is again i can see why everyone holds this in such high regard and why people say oh it's one of the best movies ever made if singing the rain is a love letter to the silent era sunset boulevard is a tragic tragic look at the aftermath of the silent era uh great film beautiful film but Becky, I know you have one last question you want to ask Yasmin before we get out of here. That's right. So 
what is your favorite movie or your favorite movie right now? I will judge you. I'm prepared for judgment. <laughs> um, yeah, so favorite movie is really tough, but I'd probably choose The Color of Pomegranates. Wow. Uh, I, <laughs> thought I, was pre- I thought I was pretentious. So you pretentious. are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love the cinematography. I love all of the um, visual metaphors in the film. Yeah, I just think it's a beautiful movie. And I last watched Creed 2, just to balance <laughs> this out. Yeah. So um, Creed 2, I was like corny, but I kind of loved it. You're and ready, I'm ready for, Creed, for Creed 3. Exactly. Yeah. The Brilliant. height of cinema. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Creed 2, not color pomegranates. Pomeg- right, right, pomegranates, right, right. popcorn flick. Totally. Yeah. It's for the, the plebs, you know? So. Movie for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> really? Color pomegranates? <laughs> really? Yes. I, you know what? It, to each their own. To each their own. It is a fucking beautiful movie. It is really, really pretty. I feel like it's what I want from a movie because I I kind of like those movies that actually have less dialogue, less screenplay, if you will. Um really like Sunset Boulevard though where there's a lot of screenplay. I I, a lot mean, of dialogue. I loved it. I can go with both, but like I like the I I like the quietness of Color Pomegranates and just being able to focus on the images and like the, their symbolism and yeah. I feel like that's that's kind of what cinema's about to an extent, right? Like it's not a book. It's not a, you know, play. It's a film. That's strong. We have a good array of guests <laughs> on this podcast. Our One of our first guests' favorite movie was Man of Steel. And yes, we get to Color Pomegranates. Strong, strong. But, Becky, Miss Boo, what are we doing next? Next month is an entirely Dean month. I know he's been waiting to do this month. This is basically our Foreign Films 101 month. Uh, I'm going to be watching... I think almost all the films in this month are new to me, except for the first, because we're going to be talking about The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and I'm very excited. Yes, it is. I think it's considered the first horror film, or it's really, really early. German Expressionist, it's a huge influence you can see today on people like Tim Burton. That's probably why you saw it, I'm guessing. Yes. Yep, yep, figured. Um, But yeah, I'm very excited about that one. Uh, I've seen that movie probably a half dozen times. I got a fun story of watching that at work when I was at Walgreens. That was <laughs> ah, very perfect setting. Yes, uh, right? they they gave me like an iPad or whatever to like do inventory, but it, they didn't realize it had connection to the internet mm-hmm. and it didn't have volume. So I was like, I'll watch a silent movie. So I watched Canada Doctor Caligari on my break As you at work. Do, right, like every Walgreens employee. Everyone, I uh, yeah, I got fun stories about that. But yeah, I cannot wait. But if they wanted to get that, where can they go? If you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That's The Film Vault on YouTube, where I do slideshows. They're we not love videos. Slideshows. They are slideshows because I am lazy. And we're trying to catch up on uh, everything, getting new episodes out as often as we can. But if you want to follow us on social media, you can go to. The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, random trivia, and random adventures. And with that... We'll see you next week at the Film Club. Have a good week, everybody. And then you say goodbye, Yasmin. Say goodbye to everyone. Bye, guys. (laughs) Keep it real. Keep it real. Bye, everybody. Bye.